Welcome to Brightly, you radiant being, the show that wildly recognizes, encourages, and invests in the radiance we all carry so you can shine your brightest. Each episode, we share soul-driven advice and topics to help you live more brightly in mind, body, and spirit. Through sharing our experiences, friendship, and passions, we hope to impact you to step more brightly into yourself inch by inch. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Amy. How are you? I am. I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. How about you? Um, same. (laughs) Somebody did recently ask me if we were okay because we didn't seem to have the same level of enthusiasm in one of our shows. And we've been (laughs) here. But when you think about it, we've been dealing with some heavier topics lately. Yeah, that's true. Completion, destruction. Destruction. Yes. Our last one. Uh, oh, the love yourself. Love yourself was was a little bit higher, but still like that can bring up some sadness if you're not there yet, or if you're not there a hundred percent on everything. It brought it up for me. That's for sure. Anything you want to share? No, I mean, during the actual (laughs) show where I was during the actual show. Oh yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if it's one of those things where it's because we talk about this stuff that I start to notice it more. Um, and it's, or is it an actual trend or a pattern existing? Kind of like when you want to buy it, you know, like I used to really want this burnt orange Chevy car and then I saw it everywhere and I was like, well, I don't want it anymore. Everybody has it. And anybody that I had brought it up to (laughs) was like, I've never seen a car that color. And it was like, exactly. It's the only car on the road these days. Just what you're noticing now. Right. And so, but there is something, you know, in social media is so right now, AI really caters to you, right? Like you don't often see new things. You see more of what it thinks or knows you'll like to keep you engaged. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there is this growing pattern and trend of people becoming more and more aware of their personal traumas and having a desire to heal it and being really upfront about it. What do you Mm -hmm. think? No, I agree 100%. I think that we are all more open to this. And I almost feel as if we are more open to this. um, And we being I'm speaking for myself, as a, you know, middle aged white woman, that perhaps because I saw it uh, with other cultures and being much more free about it in other cultures that it just brought it to mind more to me. But also I think that I'm more open to like thinking about ancestors Mm. because of some of the work that, and some of the shows that we've done and how I'm opening myself up to more spiritual things. So thinking about ancestors and ancestral trauma, generational trauma. So I don't know if it's that I've opened myself up to it more, or if, like I said before, I witnessed it with other cultures and realized it's okay. And I can do this as well. Do you have any examples of what you were seeing? Yeah, I wish I did. Because the minute I opened my mouth and said that, I immediately was saying, 
what's an example, Amy? <laughs> what's an example? That's and okay. the, the hamster back. was going through the Rolodex and couldn't find anything. You know, we record these end of day Friday, so I'm with you on that. <laughs> I bet I'm sure there'll be space for it if it comes back. Maybe for- we need to change our record dates so that we can add more enthusiasm <laughs> to it. Yeah, I was real great this morning, which we've yeah. already talked about. Mercury yeah. retrograde like came and stole my afternoon from me. But okay, so for me, I have always been very introspective and I was typically the friend that people came to when they had a problem, right? When, you know, I, when I graduated from college and was trying to figure out what to do, the number of people who told me to be a therapist was so astronomical that I went and studied therapy. What I decided in, in, in that program I just want a therapist to talk to, which honestly, most of the people in the program, they weren't super aware of that, but that's why they were there too. Um, (laughs) Having access to these brilliant professors and therapists, um, you know, and reading the DSM, you know, the manual and all the different psychological disorders. um, It's really hard, you know, not to be studying that and think that you have everything (laughs) that you read. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And so for, for me, I've always been really drawn to like that inner work or, you know, really hyper self-aware to kind of a fault. And so when I was in that program, I said, you know, I think it's really weird that you're teaching us to be counselors and psychologists and we're not required to be in therapy. Uh, like some I, of the doctorologists were required to be in therapy. Depends on the type of program. So okay. they were really adamant. You know, they taught us a lot about knowing your own biases and your blind spots. Um, but they. And once again, I have a real problem with that because if it's a blind spot, that means you don't see it. Right. Right. Sorry. So, it, you know, they left you, they left it up to you and, you know, tools and stuff for how to, you know, a lot, you know, there's one of the things I learned when starting to become a therapist is if you are motivated enough, you can get the same benefits from reading self-help books mm-hmm. as you will from therapy, but because both require you to feel motivated to do the work. Right. Um, and, and some people just do better with having either that added accountability of working with an external Mm -hmm. partner, or for me, what I liked, you know, as much as I love self-help books, what I was really craving at the time was validation for what I was feeling and going Mm -hmm. through and just, you know, being seen and having a shared experience. Mm -hmm. But so my program was like, okay, we hear you. We offer counseling to any student at the school, not just for here for six week increments of time. So it's kind of a short-term problem-based therapy. Um, One of their therapists was the head of the doctoral program, which I wasn't a part of, but he's like, I see your point. We do require our doctoral students. So as long as I have room in my program, you can be my client. You know, like as soon as, you know, like if we get an influx of students who need that six weeks, who are going through a crisis, who have a short-term problem, you might get bumped, but Mm -hmm. I ended up working for him with him for almost three years and, and we only stopped because he moved to California. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, I didn't even realize the healing that I needed. I wanted to be aware of my blind spots, but my overall motivation at that time was I want to, I want to watch him. I want to watch somebody do therapy, right. And kind of both, you know, 
experience another therapist in the chair and then kind of watch how he does it. Um, after like the third session that went away and I was just a full-blown client and I am forever grateful to him because the work we did in that program, uh, removed blockages. I didn't even know that I had. But, so I think that's super important. And I think that that is a real part of ancestral trauma. The fact that it is so deep that you do not see it. You do not even realize that you need healing from this thing unless it comes up as a recurring pattern, as something that you see in your family or yourself. And so that's what, you know, when the blockages were removed, I was able to better see the patterns that I was participating in, both Ah, in my own life, but then also in my relationships. Yeah. And I like that patterns that I was participating in it. We are far more active participants and, mm-hmm. and you know, like it's subconscious and we might not be super aware, but mm-hmm. it was the thinnest of layers and veils that was peeled away for me to be able to see it and then yeah. attend to it. And it was the, the things I worked with him on, even once he moved away and I, you know, I ended up not becoming a therapist and leaving the program, but it's still a really active process. You know, it doesn't, the emotions and the reactions are different, but some of those patterns still mm-hmm. kind of creep up. And I'm really aware of wanting to revert back to how I would react before and then making the yeah. conscious choice to use my new tools now. But it's really funny because some of the things I worked on, and I've shared this before, but somebody in my family, when she talks about it, she thinks we're cursed. (laughs) She thinks our family is just cursed in this one regard to our life. I don't want to call her out because I know most of my family listens to this. (laughs) But I was just wondering, Amy, have you ever felt like your family was cursed? Well, so, you know, I actually never did think that until you told me this thing that someone in your family is certain that your family is cursed. However, I feel I definitely can see these patterns um, in different and they show up differently with the women than they do the men. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I would not. I do not want to say cursed that we're cursed because so, that feels, I don't know, but I feel it's like heavy. It's heavy. It is heavy. But, and yet there's another part of me that's like, but I could remove a curse. I'm just not sure if I could heal ancestral trauma. Right. So some people, <laughs> so I, I get really triggered when she uses the word cursed mm-hmm. um, because that takes you know, it's funny you say you feel like you could remove a curse because I feel like that takes my autonomy out of it, right? It feels a little less mm. like I can fix it. And then right. it's I'm I'm a little bit more mad that it happened, right? Because it's an exterior force I didn't know about that was controlling it instead of yeah. what I hear people call it as bad luck. I just have bad luck in love. I have bad luck in money. I have bad luck with bosses. And, you know, I have a real problem with those two terms because talk about just creating your own reality. I also feel like a curse would be easier to remove than bad luck. See, and I don't, I don't like, (laughs) I believe in luck a whole lot, but there's also a part of me that's like, you don't talk about it and you definitely don't label or call it 
bad, right? Like, I don't know if I believe in bad luck. I believe in good luck, uh, but I feel like bad luck is more of an attitude. But another kind of phrase and kind of thinking about these, you know, kind of patterns that run in families and generations, karma. Well, yeah. Okay. So karma right there. I mean, I feel like when I first learned about karma, at first I was sort of like you with a curse, like, what the hell? I didn't know that, that in that past lifetime, that I'm the future me is going to have to pay for it. Like, why am I paying for something that past me did? I had an intuitive and I I know a lot of different types of people listen to this show, (laughs) our show, and we are more personal development, but I fully believe this woman is gifted. I fully believe in, yeah. in, in everything she can do. And at one of like the readings where she's kind of, you know, she's a healer and an intuitive. And she told me that this life, this life was meant to humble me and nothing had resonated with me more at all. I'm not going to wow. share everything, but she said in a past life, I took advantage of my position and my gifts and my privilege to such a point that this life was meant to humble me. And to that, I said, it fucking worked. When is it done? (laughs) She didn't have an answer for me. And so that to me kind of feels karmic in a sense, right? Like it's kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you believe in that, you know, our souls create, you know, a spiritual contract and why we're here. And I still don't understand why we don't get to know or remember any of that while we're here. We're all working through in earth school, they say. Because Um, if we remembered it, we wouldn't take it seriously. hmm. I don't think we'd take it seriously. We'd just be like, I'll deal with it next life. I just, I don't, I don't think we take it seriously. That's why we don't remember. I know that there's some people too, who think that karma is not uh, from one life to the next. They feel like it's much more immediate. And that if like, if in this relationship right now, you feel above the other person, or you feel like you have more power than the other person, the next relationship you have, you won't feel that way. Okay. Like, like, and I don't know that I believe one over the other. I do believe in karma because it feels like a balance to me. Well, and so what I loved about her phrasing it, how she did and whether Mm -hmm. it's true or not, whether past lives are real or not, it took me from a place because at that point I had done a lot of therapy. I'm still in therapy, working through a lot of things actively, trying to be really intentional with my life and what I want and really self-aware and having accountability and ownership and just trying to, you know, constantly strive to be better, my best mm-hmm. version of me. And, but there was always just these things that felt so out of control and so unfair and why mean, why not my sisters? Not that I think that they should have it, but like, why me? Right. Not that we don't all have our own burdens, right. And our own challenges and things. And her phrasing it like that gave me a purpose with it, right. With these things where I was like, oh, I now have a lesson to learn from these. It's no longer bad luck. It's no longer um, a, curse. a curse. I, you know, it, I reframed how I looked at it as, okay, what can we learn from this? How can we make sure we're not acting how we supposed 
past life Tracy did, right? Like, and so I'm, I didn't change anything in the, in the way of like, oh, I'm going to lift this. I still, you know, sometimes when some of those old emotions or things happen, I'm like, why me? When is it done? Um, but for, at that time, it was so healing to hear it phrased in that way yeah, and view it that way. And so I can understand where my family member is coming from when she feels like we're cursed because it can feel just like you're cut, no matter your best efforts, what you're doing, rock in a hard place, can't achieve your goal, can't mm-hmm. stop experiencing the same things over and over again. But, you know, in a lot of our past episodes, we've talked about shadow work, inner work, healing, self-love. And I have not I have a feeling, especially where like the collective is heading with this, as we were saying earlier, we're both seeing and hearing more people open to it. Like a lot of us are probably overturning stones and illuminating past traumas, um, whether directly done to us or like you've been mentioning generationally. So it happened to parents, grandparents and beyond ancestrally, you know, Mm -hmm. way, way back people who, you know, couldn't have even imagined that you would be here and and doing Mm -hmm. what you are now. And so when, when we're going through this inner work or when we're looking at our patterns and identifying root causes, trauma is most likely the reason. And a lot of people view trauma as, you know, uh, a soldier in war and, and what they see and experience there as a significant car crash, right? But trauma is also the death of a loved one, especially sudden. And especially if you're at, um, a a developmental stage in life, right? Like if you lose your mom at a really young age is a little bit different than when you lose your mom, when you're 60, not that it doesn't hurt and not that there isn't trauma associated with both, but the impact it can really shape. Yeah. I would actually take that five-year-old. Yeah. I would take it a step further and say, it doesn't even have to be that trauma can also be watching your mom drive away in a car and you don't want her to leave and you're running after her crying and screaming. That's trauma. uh, Trauma (laughs) is also, it's emotional, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's emotional. It's mental. It can be insults. It can be perceived like there doesn't have to be a physical wound and other people don't have to see it and it doesn't even you know in that case like the mom might just be going to work right or the parent may just be going off she was going to the airport she was flying to New York and didn't tell me and I didn't know and there's 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 my little piece of trauma (laughs) (laughs) didn't affect you at all (laughs) no patterns were associated but a lot of things like that where the people in our life trying their best or even just not thinking of it or not thinking it matters, not understanding the ripple effect. And for some reason it it evicts a a traumatic reaction, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our flight or fight, our sense of safety or sense of trust and and, and relationship with others. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we experience all that every day, you know, everybody can have little traumas every day. I mean, honestly, when you, uh, people talk about, you know, the millennial age group, like we've just been nothing but traumas every couple of years, recessions and wars and, you know, uh, 9-11 and all these different things. And, but the baby boomers have been going through that too. (laughs) And so we're all experiencing right trauma. I mean, I think that if you're a black person in America, you're, you're experiencing trauma continuously Every, yes. every day. Yes. Um, There's a, a socioeconomic impacts, mm-hmm. race. There, there's so mm-hmm. many different ways 
and it's hitting everybody at so many different levels. Um, but we also, we inherit trauma from the people of the past and not even just in a way of, you know, my parents, not mine, but like a parent not learning how to parent through their parent, how, you know, didn't learn how to express love, or maybe Mm -hmm. they were physically abused or spanked. And so then that's how they parent. That's a really direct way that trauma is passed down. But recently I've been reading about epigenetics and I wanted to share, um, a part of it, uh, this book. So the book is called, it didn't start with you, how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle by Mike, Mark Wolin. But it says the history you share with your family begins before you are even conceived in your earliest biological form as an unfertilized egg. You are already share a cellular environment with your mother and grandmother. Yeah. When your grandmother was five months pregnant with your mother, the precursor cell of the egg you developed from was already present in your mother's ovaries. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty mind blowing when you think about that. And I did know that I didn't have those words for it, but I did know that, that we, that it is to that extent. And which is, which then brings me to the idea of trying to heal genetic, uh, um, generational trauma to then pass that forward and backward. Yeah. And so I just want to say to anybody listening who is a parent or who wants to be a parent, this isn't the blame or shame game. Like you, you couldn't help it, right? Like the, the trauma that you experienced, um, while the eggs were in you developing, like that's not your fault. So this is about healing. I just want to apologize to all my children. And <laughs> well, I just remember I went granddaughter. Through... <laughs> so when reading this and thinking about what to share in the show, um, I remember about 15 years ago, I went through, um, some pretty significant health events and they were thinking at the time that I had an autoimmune disorder. And one of the ones they were considering somebody on my father's side of the family had, and that's why they were Mm. thinking of it. He started apologizing to me and got really teared up. And I was like, how the hell is any of this anyone's fault? Right? Like, and then I also know during that same, like I was having a, I was having some sort of pain or some sort of issue. um, And I texted my mom real formally. I think, no, I actually, I emailed her. Um, and I just said, um, you know, I wanted to cash in the warranty on this body and I'm reaching out to the manufacturer and I, <laughs> and, and I would like to see what kind of support I could get. And she wrote me back and attached her divorce decree saying that the co-manufacturer and her split up decades ago, and that, uh, it's actually the, the other, uh, the other partner's, uh, problem and fault. Um, and so that shows how good my parents so- are. With the epigenetics piece, Um, (laughs) wrote you back with that piece. Yeah, she's pretty clever. Hey, mom, I know you listen. Hi, how you doing? (laughs) Um, But so I just want to say, like, have accountability for what you can be accountable for. So when it Mm -hmm. comes to generational trauma, Mm -hmm. if there are things you feel like you never apologized to your kids for before, it's never too late for an apology right? Like you can, you can heal things now. Um, or you can even just have that open conversation with your, with your children and, and make sure that they're open to it as well. But like, 
Yeah. No, but I also don't feel like you have to, right? Like sometimes you just mm-hmm. have to heal yourself first. We talk about it all the time, right? Put your own mask on, but don't listen to some of the stuff about epigenetics and start feeling guilty for the things you pass on to your babies and your grandbabies, because it's, it's genetics, it's DNA. We had no choice. Um, but there are things by healing ourselves. Now we can, start to heal patterns moving forward. You don't always have to look backwards, but I will just say from um, an, an etiquette perspective, Emily Post says it's never too late for an apology or a thank you. So yeah. just remember so, that. <laughs> you know, my mom actually did apologize for certain things and maybe apology is not really the correct word because even after saying like, I'm sorry, or wow, I really taught you well on that one, meaning a pattern <laughs> that she did that yeah. then taught to me by yeah. viewing it, but yet it was never under discussion then. And so I think that that was the piece missing that we didn't actually talk about it. So whether you can heal it or not, or you think you have the means to heal it, talk about it so that it's an open communication so that the other people in your family know that they can talk about it too. And maybe you can get to some kind of shared, like moving forward, let's try it this way. I would say that the, the, the thing that I shared about running down the street, literally mm. running down the street, How old sobbing. Oh, I was probably six or seven. Uh, maybe five, I don't know, some age running after her car. Mm. And this is what, while we were talking, I'm like, sure, that makes sense. She didn't communicate to me that she was leaving because she knew it would be hard for me that she was leaving. So it was easier not to tell me. And one of the things was that's what she learned, right? From her mom, you don't talk about things, but Mm -hmm. also her mom ended up having, you know, a nervous breakdown and having to leave the family and go and stay with her sister. And then all the kids ended up in an orphanage. And so it was just like this huge, I realized that her leaving was that it's not leaving was a pattern. Although now that I think about it, kind of, um, but it was the communication around the hard subject that couldn't that, that piece. So I could never talk to people about hard things or if I disagreed with them, or if I felt like, someone wasn't listening to me or if I wanted to do something different than the rest of the group. So that's a really obvious pattern around communication, right? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't modeled to you. Right. And then it's also when you tried to do it, it was probably shut down or you just didn't have the tools to be able to, as a child, especially enunciate it, you know, communicate mm-hmm. it well. But I also have to wonder, you know, kind of like the buried pattern around trust, and being able to trust other people Mm -hmm. or understanding people will come back. Right. Um, No. So I think that is a valid point around trust and around parental trust, partner trust, because obviously none of that was shown that, I mean, the fact that she was in an orphanage, right. So neither parent, well, back during the depression, um, Actually, if if 
because well no it was when they were older never mind so neither parent but that's a great example though you know her experience and her ability to just pull herself up by the bootstraps and that kind of mentality and that you know change how you think change your life which you can in many ways um it just really illustrates that piece of genetics where it's not just our dna right like our environment shapes our ability that's why you know you could have five siblings go through the same thing and then all get impacted by the trauma or represent that trauma in right. different ways right in completely different ways yes Yes. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the things that came up in therapy recently um, really explained, you know, kind of how I, you know, my issues with feeling the need to be validated, you know, so I, I processed and worked through the issues in my 20s, but it wasn't until therapy in my 30s when I figured out the root cause or like one of the forming memories where it happened. And I was my sister, my older sister and I, I was four, maybe five years old. And we're at my grandparents' house and my grandmother was outside gardening. As we've described before, I've recently learned she just washed her fake flowers outside. None of her plants were real in her, in her yard. Um, so she was outside scrubbing her flowers, having some me time. And my grandpa and my older sister, uh, were watching TV in the living room. And I remember really needing and wanting my grandmother and not understanding or just getting just the smallest amount of attention that I needed in that moment, why I was being ignored. So she Mm -hmm. was out in the yard and it was, you know, it was kind of, I'm sure that both the grandparents were doing a tough love thing. Right. And she probably as, as an adult with littles in my family, I get it. Sometimes you just need a break. Sometimes you just need a break. Um, But in that moment, instead of acknowledging my needs and just attending to her own, I was left just sobbing at the screen door, banging, just not understanding why I wasn't getting attention and just being ignored. And so you have that in and of itself. But then my grandfather, how he responded after probably five to 10 minutes of me doing that and being told not to picked me up, spanked me on the butt several times and threw me on the bed in the kid's room, you know, not violent, but just like, uh, mm-hmm. this is done. This is time out. We've told you kind of a thing. And so I had the trauma of not being validated and not being seen, not being heard or acknowledged by grandparents too. Right. Like I'm just there for the weekend. It's, you, you, you know, I already got to share them with my sister. But, and then, you know, that irreparably damaged or cut off, like any chance of me feeling connected with my grandfather. Like, I just remember at that point, like, nope, you're no longer a person for me anymore. Right. And so I was able to make that connection as an adult and, you know, like kind of be like, okay, I feel that in me and that makes sense. And like, that was definitely like a forming memory, but I recently shared it with one of my, the sister that was there. And she was, I remember that day (gasps) after he did that, after she ignored you, I packed up our stuff, told them to call the parents and that we did not come here to be treated like that. We came here to be treated better than that. And whoa, (laughs) I don't recall that at all. Like I was clearly in that moment. I was First of all, I was in a different room, but like right. with my own issues. And I just remember feeling sad and dejected and getting really withdrawn. And like, it really did create like a lot of how I responded emotionally to other people or responded to not feeling validated. Yeah. But hearing even from her as an adult that she stood up for me and like everything she said is totally what eight-year-old Mandy would have said and done. <laughs> and like, 
even hearing from her as an adult that she did that, like reshaped, you know, inner child Tracy. Like I suddenly felt loved and protected in that moment. Right. right? So like you, so that's like one of those things where like validating, acknowledging, or even just like, sometimes it's hard to talk about this stuff. And sometimes people just don't want to rehash it. Right. Like whether they're healed or not, they don't want to talk about it, but like sometimes just validating, like her even being like, I remember that and it happened. I was like, wow, not just in my head, but then her saying, I stood up for you. I was mad. She's like, we talked at like, I was mad at them. Uh Like that, like gave me something back. Right. I lost that day and I'm 37. Like this was more than 30 years ago. And just like like, a time machine had been built and you could go back to that moment and reshape it. But Um, so what that helped, what that showed me as I was kind of like doing inner work, you know, when you find out these root causes, what do you do with it? On the one hand, I felt validated and that was great, but it showed me when I'm going through these moments of not feeling validated to look for the people who are in my corner and not just focus on where I'm feeling rejected. Okay. So that's a super great point. Um, and I don't know if everyone can do that when they notice patterns, when they notice something mm-hmm. or when they, you know, go back. I mean, I guess for me using that same example. So when I feel like people, I don't know if I use the trust issue or if I use the communicating issue, I think because I always end up looking at it as what I'm doing, not what someone else did to me. And then Mm. I'm doing it to someone else. I'm always like, I am not good at communicating. I am not good at standing up for myself. I am not good with authority figures. Now I can go back and see how that traveled to me, but then could I do that and say, maybe not exactly like you did it, like, well, where, you know, who, who has been communicating with me, but I feel like I could say, when have I been able to stand up for myself? Right. And then use that as the indicator moving forward. Amy, you're so on the same page. And I hope this conversation is tracking with everybody (laughs) else, because just like three bullet points later in the outline, I was going to ask, what is the story you tell yourself when things aren't going your way? Are you cursed? Is it bad luck? Is it karma? Is it, I don't communicate well, or is it something really specific happened that made me feel or impressed upon me that I was or wasn't something? And have I carried that through? Like, is it true? And it probably isn't. It probably isn't. Right. It probably isn't true. And I would take it a step further though, because I feel like I've done enough weird random work in this Mm -hmm. to go, yes, this specific thing happened to me. And I know a specific thing happened to my mother. And I know a specific thing happened to my grandmother. And I can guess at specific things that happen even further down the line. So today, instead of saying, I am this, I am that, I am this other bad human thing, I think to say, now that I'm aware of these things, 
how can I begin? Because of course, like you said, you know, it's not like you're just going to be like, oh, heal, done. That's yeah, I mean, it's with. kind of, so that's <laughs> the thing with root causes. So I didn't yeah. jump for from being in the spiraling down place of feeling invalidated all the time and feeling disconnected and all of a sudden go, oh, it was because of my grandmother and grandfather. Like I had a decade of therapy and self-healing work before I, like, it's kind of like if someone shoots you, the root cause is that guy over there shot me with a gun. Knowing that doesn't stop me from bleeding, right? Like you have to attend to your gaping (laughs) wounds before you start looking at root causes. What the root cause is going to do, looking for this root cause for this generational Mm -hmm. trauma, for these patterns, that's for when you're in a good place. That's not for when you're feeling bad. That's when you're in a good place and you want (laughs) to identify the root causes so that you can create these healing responses to these patterns so that you go through them less and less or it's becoming longer and longer gaps of time between when you experience it Mm -hmm. or when you do experience it, when you're kind of in that spiral, you know, of it and really feeling it, it's a shorter and shorter amount of time or the impact Mm -hmm. is less and less. You don't want to be feeling the worst you've ever felt and terrible about yourself. And then all of a sudden be like, God, I wonder if it was this thing that happened when I was five. Cause that's just, I've done that. It feels heavier. It feels heavier. It's not a good, don't start going ancestors. Show me, you know, like, no, ask them for healing. Yes. But like this healing is layered and sometimes you do your like I deal with the chronic pain issue and I understand for mine it's cyclical that if I do everything I'm supposed to the three weeks before I know it's coming I'm going to feel better when I know the cycle is going to repeat right Mm -hmm. so I'm consciously healing myself and making good choices for three weeks, because I know one week I'm going to feel like crap yeah. and I feel a little less like crap when I do it. I don't all of a sudden the week I'm in pain go, oh my God, I need to start doing these. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that actually in a very tangible way leads to something that we talk about all the time is that you have to be intentional and you have to be willing to dig deep, look at your life, look at your patterns, be willing to accept the fact that you might have these patterns. And and you might be the fully accountable person for it. And the point of stopping the pattern is so that you don't pass it on. Exactly. I, I mean, we're dealing with like, Honest to goodness, I I think I'm feeling just a little bit. It was like I knew we were going to talk about this. Of course, I knew we were going to talk about this. But now, in the middle of it, I'm like, yeah, not like. Stop saying like, Amy. I am thinking about my children mm. and specifically my daughter and my granddaughter because I'm like, I've already freaking passed something on to another a second generation what have you healed what have you not passed on and what have you maybe not healed in yourself but you're preventing it from happening there so for me personally there's a person in my family who was a yeller that was how we communicated good or bad he yelled I didn't even realize how intentional I was with not yelling, not raising my voice around kids in any way until I started working with five to 10 year olds with behavioral disorders, really violent kids, um, kids with a lot of their own emotional issues they're working up Mm -hmm. and situations where sometimes raising your voice at 
the offending children to try and get their attention, get them to stop or raising your voice at the non-offending children to pay attention. Like we know you all (laughs) live in chaos and this feels normal, but it's not safe and you have to move. Like it's so easy to default there or even just anybody, even if it's not kids with you know, behavioral disorders, how many adults just walk into a room with kids and yell to get their attention or yell to get them to go and line up or something like that. And I didn't realize that I didn't do that until in the same week, separate from each each other, an adult in that program and a child in that program commented how I never raised my voice and everybody seems to listen when I walk in a room. And, <laughs> and upon hearing that, I realized like that was an intentional choice at some point as a teenager, when I was babysitting and considering working with kids, I had kind of worked on it a little bit, right? Like of not reacting, right? Like of just taking a breath, pausing, figuring out what had to happen to the point that by the time I'm about 30 years old and I'm working in these situations, it's no longer a thought. It's just how I react. I broke that pattern. And it can be really frustrating when you're with kids who clearly have uh, been ingrained to only listen once it gets escalated to yelling, Mm -hmm. right? Because, Mm -hmm. but there's still like a certain weight that even grownups I've noticed in situations where I've had to come in and prevent a fight or break something up or something. Cause I, I did used to work with people with pretty severe uh, mental illness, emotional behaviorals. Um, they all said I had like a teacher. I did look. too. I did uh, too. I was a bartender. Oh yeah. But so, and like <laughs> teachers and I'm sure nuns, you know, had it back in the day too, but there's certain people where you can walk in a room and look and people just all of a sudden like start behaving. <laughs> And so I was so proud of myself when those two people pointed it out because I was like, I broke that pattern because I was really worried that if I had kids, I was going to parent in all the ways I didn't want to. Both of my parents and especially the one I'm talking about have many positive qualities, but I was so worried that the negative ones that I didn't like and that I had seen how they impacted me, that I was going to carry that forward. And because I was aware of that, I now feel pretty confident I'm not right. Mm -hmm. Let me know. Never raise my voice. I I don't know. I don't have kids living with me every day. It's probably a lot easier when it's your 40 hour work week to be intentional, but I was really proud of myself for breaking that pattern. So I would imagine there's a lot of stuff as is, there's probably a lot of stuff. My parents intentionally did better than their parents did. Right. Like there's so many things that curses we've broken and, and patterns Mm -hmm. that we break and, but it's still important to try and figure out what are those ones maybe I'm not aware of and how can that heal me? And then by healing yourself, sometimes without even trying, you heal others in the line. Oh yeah. I could see that happening. But like one of the things that made me want to talk about this topic today was, uh, so I'm single and I'm currently dating and I'm on Bumble and there's so many people that talk about how they just don't trust women or they just don't trust men or all men are this or all women are that. And, you know, when you start to look more into it or people, you know, write to like dear prudence online or something like that, you can tell it was one specific person in their life, right? So this one interaction or this one experience, this one relationship has formulated how they look at everybody of a certain gender. And I heard a quote recently, or I heard somebody say, I don't remember who it was, but it was, you're not responsible for the hand you were dealt in life, but you are responsible for how you respond. And so some of these people who are like, oh, I don't trust women because of my mom. I don't trust 
men because of my dad. If you have the awareness of that, if you were able to pinpoint it, I feel like you have this accountability to decide, are you the master of your own fate or not? Right? Like, are you, you know, is it, is it one of those things where you're just going to be mad at your bad luck, you know, and, and your well, karma? Or are you going to be mad at um, the people around you who, when you were maybe younger, made decisions that impacted your life at the time? Like, oh, I can't get anywhere in life because my parents were divorced and I had to go to, you know, uh, Uh, 11 different schools or whatever. But I have always been of the mindset that, yeah, that happened to you. And now you're responsible for doing something different. However, I will say it still doesn't mean that I didn't uh, apologize to my two older kids Mm. for putting them through a divorce and not in the best way, because Spoiler alert, when you go through a divorce, no one actually teaches you how to go through a divorce. Well, and, and you're a and, person, right? Like you're a person and a parent and it's person. really easy in hindsight. Everything is so much easier in hindsight. Decisions could have been better. I could, you know, reactions could have been different, but in the moment you did what you could with what you had, right? You're a person. And so I love that you took the time to go and apologize once you, you know, were in a space where you could recognize it and, and validate that you wanted to do better. Mm -hmm. But that also brings up the point then you brought up like, oh, my dad was bad with this or my parents got divorced. So, you know, I couldn't do X, Y, Z. And that's the other piece of like this healing community that I see in social media of all these people sharing how they're working through their trauma or just ways in which to, to heal is uh, everybody's like uh, making that joke to their ancestors, to the universe, to the guides. Why me? Why me? Why, why is the buck stopping with me? I don't want to do this. I want to, you know, go through life blindly and continue these patterns or just like, why can't it just be better? Like, why do I have to actively do the work? Um, But, and you know, what's so funny is I actually look at it and go, yes, thank you. Thank you for thinking that I could do Mm. this. Now I have other, I have siblings who are probably at the same time healing their own. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's a good. All right. Now I have a question. Do people in the same family have the same generational trauma or do things come out differently for different siblings? Both and. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think, I think right? it goes back to that. So even so, like I did 23 and me yeah. and my sisters could do it and we could get totally different stuff, even though well, we right. were both related to the same parent. Right. So genetics yeah. present in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I but have a friend, generational trauma present in different ways. And so I think it goes back to that piece of because um, even like twin studies kind of look at that. Right. Yeah. And so I think there is that piece where genetics play a part, but then it's kind of, you know, I, um, I did genetics counseling for cancers for breast cancer and ovarian cancer Mm -hmm. because of a risk in my family. And they came back and they said, Hey, you don't have any of the known genetic markers. And I was like, awesome. And they're like, doesn't mean you can't get these cancers. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, because right, we there's... said we've we qualified <laughs> the statement with the no. There's, there's <laughs> all of these other things that can still, even if your genes aren't predispositioned to something that can mm-hmm. impact it. So I think the different genetics that 
you know, each sibling inherits can affect what they're genetically predisposed to be able to deal with trauma, just like at that DNA level. And then also, you know, even if we live in the same home, um, we have different relationships with our parents. We have different, we have siblings, we have different socio uh, relationships. We have different schools, you know, um, you know, my sister is three years older than me. And one of the things my therapist would tell me is you are not equals. She is three years older. Why are you comparing yourself as though you're equals? And then, you know, furthermore, I'm not equal to my little sister. She is mm-hmm. five years younger than me that that age, like it does, it, it, it's different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's why too, you know, some, it, some family members can seemingly have the exact same experience and one responds to it through drugs or alcohol or escapism mm-hmm. and the other probably through other coping mechanisms that are seen as healthier, but maybe not healthier, or maybe they were able to just get through it. So I, I think that's a great question. I don't, I'm still, I, this is definitely something we're going to revisit. I picked up two books. One is healing ancestral karma. So there'll be an episode in the future on the actual like healing of it on a spiritual level. And then I'm just still reading more about that. It didn't start with you more about like the, the genetics piece of it and the epigenetics piece. And yeah, it's so interesting, but I still too want to go back to what I said before about like, I get to do it. And I think Mm. if maybe we took it more seriously as like, you know, how everyone's saying, what's my purpose? What was I put here to do? Well, guess what, Jack, you were put here (laughs) to to heal heal. some ancestral trauma. (laughs) So why don't you take that and be a little serious about that? So I will say one thing. So I've been so focused on my own work, right? Because I wanted to to get better. I wanted to remove some patterns. I wanted forward movement. (laughs) I'm human, but I was really, I was just looking to heal myself. And one of the, the byproducts of that was I got really good at setting boundaries and how other people react don't affect me emotionally the way that they did before. Mm -hmm. And I no longer feel responsible for other people's emotional reactions, definition of boundaries. I've had other family members come up to me and say that they look up to me for that and ask for help with it. And so my healing has inspired other people in their own healing too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you're like, why me? Like you might not even understand the ripple effects of what you're doing. Like I wasn't actively yeah. like communicating boundaries to these people, but how much I have changed and grown and the effect it's had on my life, other people in my life can see that. Right. And then either try and, you know, I'm either being a model or somebody they can go to for advice and support on their own mm-hmm. journey. But then I also want to bring it back to, you know, a lot of this is like, oh, no, trauma, oh, no, bad. But one of the things this this book is really impressing upon me is it's not all bad. Like there are threats and opportunities to these traumas and that evolutionarily by going through these traumas and getting through it, you expand your range of how you respond to stress and trauma. Nice. I like that. And yes. so it's also how you're healing future generations and, and yeah. yourself too, is that this other, and, and I think that's maybe what other people have noticed in me too, is that, you know, bad stuff still happens. And I just, I react in a totally different way than I probably did before. Right. And so right. you can't, you can't always Uh, prevent trauma or protect yourself from every trauma. But again, it goes back to that piece of, you know, being responsible for how you respond. And I think that's, what's brought the most healing and inner peace to me is I now feel in control of my responses 
more often than not. Whereas before I felt reactive and out of control and that other people's behaviors dictated how I felt and reacted. Yeah. And I think if people just stop and thought about that for a second, would you rather go through your life just continuously reactive, 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 or would you like to have, be an active participant and figure it out and, and actually respond instead of react, react, react. And I will say some of, you know, the generational active generational traumas that I experienced as a kid impacted how and who I wanted to interact with in my family. Right. Mm -hmm. It made going to extended family events really stressful and traumatic in its own right, because you feel the obligation and some of it can be fun and you want to, but then also, you know, what's going to happen or you're worried (laughs) about interactions or certain people. Yeah. And so by me doing this healing on myself, I can now engage with those people and Mm. I can not only am I less reactive to them, but I can now see the patterns and their own generational trauma and what they're going through and maybe some of the root causes of why they are. And I could hold, I think because I hold such good boundaries, I can hold better grace and space for them or just allow them to be experiencing and communicating their trauma and just be them the best way they can. And then, you know, like I said earlier, we're all going through something right Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't impact me anymore. Right. Like it just, it's separated that tangle of the mess. And so I'm still able to have relationships with people, um, but without carrying their burden myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So I will say that same spiritual healer intuitive that I saw, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things she kind of took from me in the healing was she's like, oh, you're like, she's kind of looking at, you know, like twin flame soulmate is kind of the popular language that's out there. It's not what she used, Mm -hmm. but kind of like the romantic person that I'm still attached to, you know, that we go through all these lives together and you're like, they're having you carry this for them. You don't have to. And she took it away. And Thank it was, you. Hey. Um, and, and I don't take know. my bags, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so kind of, you know, from the spiritual, more mystical, kind of how we think about the universe, yeah. I feel like healing, you know, when it goes back to like those soul contracts we might create when we come here, why we're, why we're all on earth. I feel like healing that ancestral and generational trauma or just healing yourself, maybe just clears that up for you, right? Like not everybody can have an intuitive come in and be like, let me take that bag and put it back on the side <laughs> yeah, of the room where it belongs. Um, maybe, maybe that's what we're, we're doing in effect because they do say sometimes like you, you go through these lifetimes, you know, with these same groups of people to heal mm-hmm. these things. Um, and so by being more intentional and what are we, the age of Aquarius now and stuff like now yes. is the time to heal, like the stars are aligning for it. So, and don't ever feel like you have to do it alone. Right. Like, and don't ever feel like you have to process it with the people <laughs> that you feel like created it. That's not, that's not always the best, right? Not everyone's in the same place. Um, I really like therapy. Uh, some people turn to spirituality, meditation, sometimes just journaling a lot of, you know, our other episodes on shadow work and other things like that Mm -hmm. can be helpful self-help books. Yeah. Um, but it, it can be heavy. So give yourself grace and space for it. Yeah. The universe, when I uh, went to the tarot cards, I was feeling this is kind of a heavy and darker topic. So I went with my deviant moon tarot because it's just mm-hmm. the art's a little bit darker. Um, yeah. Felt it a little moon. bit more. But we got the moon. Um, and it, it, 
I use the Biddy Tarot book just to kind of like first I kind of do an intuitive reading and um, the moon mm -hmm. can kind of be like what's hidden, the dark side, right? Like it's not always the bright, mm -hmm. shiny uh, La Luna that we talk about. You know, there is that that new moon phase. Mm -hmm. But the first sentence in the book I picked up, I just I, I typed it out and then I shut it and I was like, this is it. This is this is the, the episode. It says fears and illusions projecting fear into your present and your future based on past experiences. Whoa. There you go. Yeah. And of course the moon is all about the hidden things and darker things, but it's also about your, um, it's like your conscious side, your, your tame side, and then your subconscious or more wild side as well, but maybe, and then, you know, in the traditional tarot, it's got the little, the, uh, scorpion coming mm -hmm. out of the, the river, which is sort of like, oh, what's this new thing popping up for me now? Uh-huh. And, yeah. and then um, the, the book that I mentioned earlier, it didn't start with you. Um, I wasn't sure if this is, if this would be kind of the foundation or the start of, of how I wanted to outline the episode. And then um, right after like the, um, the dedication page, there's a Carl Jung quote and it's who look who looks outside dreams? Who looks inside awakes? Oh. And we bring him up a lot on the show. That's from Letters Volume 1. Um, so but I basically, go, you have to look inward. You have to start paying attention to those deep places inside of you that you don't want to shine a light on. Nailed it. What are we going to talk about next week? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I feel like it's going to tie so well into this episode. We're just, we're going to start talking about uh, feminine archetypes and actually it doesn't have to be feminine, but it, but that's what I want to talk about. So, <laughs> and kind of like what they mean to us, um, how to create it for yourself and then how they can help you live a life more intentional. And I feel like you could pair it up with this. Like you could even give your ancestors archetypes and things like, I mean, like you could go deep on this. <laughs> and kind of like how, you know, that intuitive sharing how, you know, her reading of me and it really resonating. Uh -huh. The first time I read about archetypes, there is some stuff in there that helped me understand other stereotypes of people better and then also understand mm -hmm. my own femininity and masculinity mm -hmm. better so mm -hmm. I'm excited yeah well if this episode spoke to your soul please share it with a friend and if you have time give us some love on your preferred platform with a rate review and subscribe you can also reach out to us via Instagram and YouTube under the brightly podcast or via email at brightlypodcast at gmail.com thanks and we hope you have a bright and beautiful day